Tonight's reading is from 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be reading the whole chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through, through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these, water also, by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as far as... Sorry, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt away in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Matthew Winning. Are you winning, Matthew? Anyway, he's never heard that before. Um, we're, we're in 2 Peter chapter 3. What an incredible chapter. What an incredible short letter. We've been looking at it now these last few weeks. And what have we heard? We've heard that the way to grow in Jesus is to believe the Bible. The way to hear from Jesus is to believe the Bible. The way not to grow as a Christian, the way not to grow in Jesus is to stop listening to Jesus instead of listening to Jesus, listening to the false teachers. So tonight, we're going to be talking about Jesus again. Isn't it remarkable? All of the Bible is about Jesus. All of this letter is about Jesus. It's almost as if he's an important figure. Anyway. Why do we pray now as we get stuck in 2 Peter chapter 3? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. And we praise you that you love us so much that you have ne not left us in the dark, not left us searching around for you, but that you've revealed yourself, you've given us your word. Lord, we pray that we may hear, receive, trust, 
and love what is written here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, have you forgotten the future? It's a really easy thing to forget the future. I wonder, are you living life, just trundling through life, going about your job, going about your studies, going about your family life, going about the typical everyday kind of stuff, getting up on a Monday morning, going to bed again on a Friday night, but you've forgotten your future. In fact, you've forgotten the future. Whenever you read a letter like to Peter, you realize that Peter, he's on his last legs, so to speak. He's about to meet Jesus. And this is the last letter of one Christian pastor to a group of Christians scattered as they were as a result of probably persecution. And he's trying to cram everything in, all the important things, all the big things in. And what does he say? Well, as I said a moment ago, chapter 1 deals with what is true and what isn't true. And where is what is true to be found? And that book, i.e. the Bible, what's its origins? Well, he tells us that it comes from God. As men are carried along by God's Holy Spirit, chapter 1, God speaks through them and he keeps his people. He keeps Christians. Chapter 2 is all about the false teachers, all about those who are trying to deny what is contained in this book and, and throw people off course. Chapter 3 is all about time. I wonder, do you think about your future that much? You, you probably plan for your future. If you're a student, you're coming up to Belfast, you've done some degree of planning, or maybe your parents have, you've done some degree of planning that you're going to study horticulture or whatever it is at Queen's that you might be studying. You, you, there's some degree of planning, there's some kind of thought about the future, but what about the medium future? Well, maybe you've found a spouse, or maybe you've set a particular course, a particular goal in terms of a job. That's the medium future. What about the long-term, what about the long, long-term future? What about a hundred years from now? Where will you be? Do you think about these things? The world that we live in tells us not to think about those things. Not to think about the really important things. Not to think about the things that are eternal the things that will last, the things that will go beyond the grave. We're seduced, aren't we, by the world around us. We're seduced, aren't we, by the worldview that tells us there's nothing beyond this world. Technical term is materialism, not just the possession of things, the possession of goods, the possession of material things. But the worldview that says all that there is is all that can be seen and measured, touched and smelt. That's all. There's nothing more. It's even possible for Christians to forget their future. Christians to forget the future. 
And what is in that future? Well, it is that Jesus Christ will come back again someday. He will return. As he was promised once to come, he's been promised and he has promised that he will come back again the second time. That's your future. That's our future. How easy it is to forget our future. So in 2 Peter chapter 3, we've got the past, we've got the future, and we've got the present. The past is in verses 1 to 7, the future is in verses 8 to 10, and the present is in future, is in future, is in verses 11 to 18. So if you've got your Bible, it'd be really good if you had a Bible, just to follow what we're saying here, because this is incredible stuff. This is life-changing stuff. You may have come here this evening, and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're wondering what all this is about. Well, you will get a snapshot of what Christianity is all about, what the big picture, the big message of Jesus is, that he will come back sometime, and all of everything will be wrapped up. But first of all, Peter deals with the past. And he deals with the reality within the church. We had false teachers, the reality, in chapter 2. But now we've got the scoffers in chapter 3. These are those who, both within and without, outside the church, are saying, see that stuff you believe? <laughs> oh, I feel sorry for you. It's all a bit of rubbish, isn't it? I mean, my goodness. You declare that Jesus is coming back sometime, but where is he? Let's have a look. Chapter 3, verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Now, in chapter 1, he talks about men being carried along by the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, he talks about the, the, the false words of the false teachers, where they come from. They come from within them, within the teachers themselves. The false teachers don't get a word from God to pass on, aren't carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's purely natural, purely natural revelation, if you like. But here we have Paul, Paul, sorry, Peter saying to those he's writing to, remember the words of the holy prophets, the command of our Lord Jesus through the apostles. And what is that command? Well, it is, first of all, verse 3, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. That's an easy score, isn't it, for the unbelieving scoffers? That's a really easy score. I mean, every day, day in, day out, there's no return of Jesus, and you claim that Jesus will come back again sometime, and there's no return. Oh, he hasn't come back today. Oh, that means it's not true. 
He's, you talk to him again a week's time, oh, he hasn't come back. It's not true. That's a load of rubbish. Where is this coming? He promised. It's all made up. It's all lies. You're believing nonsense, they say. Where is he? Well, with the scoffers, there's also deliberate and willful ignorance or forgetfulness. Have a look at verse 5. They, that is the scoffers, deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and instruction, sorry, destruction of ungodly men. The scoffers deliberately forget that God spoke and everything was created. That's the power of God's word. God speaks and what happens? Everything. God says, let there be light. And there's light. God says, let us make man in our own image. And what does he do? He makes man in his own image. He speaks. His word is so powerful that he spoke this whole world, everything, universe, everything, into existence just by speaking. That's the power of God's word. And these scoffers are deliberately forgetting that God's word has power to create. They're deliberately forgetting the content of that word because God has said Jesus is coming back again. They've deliberately forgotten that, but his word is powerful. So powerful that everything's created. So powerful that someday everything will be judged. Do you see that? By these waters also of the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. Do you remember Noah and his ark? How did that happen? God spoke, and it happened. God's word is so powerful that it creates and judges. These scoffers have forgotten that. Maybe you've been listening to scoffers. Who are the scoffers in your life? The militant atheist, the famous atheist, is it them? Or is it non-Christian friends? who you get the bus with or you share a house with and you listen to them whenever God has clearly said Jesus is coming I mean you've got evidence that God's word is true a couple of different evidences number one everything is in here everything is in existence God speaks and everything's created God speaks and Noah at the time of Noah everything was judged. God speaks, sends Jesus. God speaks, promises that Jesus will return. You've got the evidence. It's all there. But the scoffer becomes more persuasive over time. Can you believe that? How can you believe that? Sure, he hasn't come back. My goodness. You keep clearing that, claiming that he's going to come back again. But last week he was due to come back. This week he's due to come back. Next week he'll be due to come back. And it's just not true. The whole thing is a load of nonsense. The, 
Bible is a very honest book, isn't it? Meeting the challenges of the unbelieving world around it. And here, Peter does that because he knows that that will be one of the big potential temptations for Christ's people to fall away, to stop believing. Instead of believing the word of the, what is it? The holy prophets and the command of Christ through the apostles, we believe them. But fundamentally, what do they know? So Peter's eye is on the future. And if you're kind of made a wee bit uncomfortable with the words of the scoffers, he's reassuring you, look, God's word is powerful. God's word will come true. But why hasn't it happened? Why hasn't it happened? I mean, it should have happened. Some may have thought whenever Jesus was around that it was going to happen in the lifetime of those who first saw Jesus, that Jesus will return. He had promised, as you see me ascend, you will see me descend in glory. Some may have thought that he would have come back in that lifetime, but you've got to read what Peter says, particularly in relation to God and time. Have a look at verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Peter turns his attention to the future, the actual future. And he begins to flesh out just exactly what will happen. First of all, though, he deals with what might be going on in our hearts when it comes to the future. We may have got our concept of time completely the wrong way around. We may be thinking in a worldly way, in a human way, not in a godly way, not in a spiritual way. We might be impatient with God. But how does God see time? Have a look, verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. That's a direct quote from the psalm. But then he turns it upside down and he says a thousand years are like a day with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day if you try to understand time from God's perspective and apply the calendar to it you'll run into big problems because that isn't how God works See, that might have been one of the things that was wrong with the Christians as they were being persuaded by the scoffers. They were not understanding time as far as God is concerned. Remember, God has all of eternity in front of him. It's hard for us to understand that. We have quite a short attention span. I'm often told that I've got a really short attention span. 
Of course, that's not true. Those who work with me know it's not true, don't you? Anyway. With the Lord, as he sees a year, what does he see? A thousand years. As he sees a thousand years, what does he see? A day. You see, we, we don't really see things from God's perspective, do we? We kind of, what's keeping you? What's moving my time? Do it my way, God. How many times have you been in that position? But why is God slow? Well, have a look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why hasn't Jesus come back? Why are we still waiting? Because there are still people to become Christians. There are still sinners to repent. There are still those to the ends of the earth who've not heard about Jesus. And God is holding Jesus back, as it were, so they can hear the gospel, respond, repent, and believe. Maybe Jesus hasn't come back because you haven't yet repented. You haven't yet become a Christian. You haven't yet trusted in Jesus. You haven't yet believed the good news, the gospel that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross so that you could be forgiven. Maybe you haven't been forgiven yet. And God is holding Jesus back until that moment. Maybe. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There will be those drawn from every nation, every language, every tribe around the throne. How many people groups are there in the world still to hear the gospel? How many people groups are there around you here still to hear the gospel? Still for them to, if you like, so to speak, provide their quota of those singing around the throne on that last day, praising the Lamb. How many? There will be an innumerable crowd around the throne praising God. Read Revelation 7. No one can count. No man can number. But there'll be those from every single people group. There'll be those who speak Ulster Scots those who speak Gaelic. There'll be those from every language group. Isn't that remarkable? So God is holding Jesus back before sending him, before wrapping up everything so that they can hear the gospel, repent, and believe. Does that mean he's not going to come back soon? No. Does that mean we'll be able to plot his return? You know, when the mission agencies and the mission societies get their various quota up and tick, yes, that people group, that people group, that people group, there's a couple more left, and tick, 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 and it'll come then. 
There are some preachers who believe that. Well, it would seem from verse 10 that it's not going to work like that. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The thing about thieves is that they come without sending a calling card or arranging an appointment. Their success is in the element of surprise, not calling ahead. And this is the thing with Jesus, his return, the day of the Lord, that great day that the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied. That great day where, for example, verse 10 tells us that the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. This is global warming on a global scale, isn't it? The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. When Jesus Christ come back, comes back again, when God is wrapping everything up with his word, this is what will happen. As the things kind of crumble in front of eyes, disappear with the roar, this universe, we will hear it, we will see it also. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Everything, everything will disappear. Your degree certificate will be burnt up. Your cars, plural, will be burnt up. Your houses, plural, will be burnt up. Your clothes will be burnt up. Everything will disappear. What are you wasting money on? What are you spending money on? That will go too. Everything will go. Does this not change your perspective? Or have you forgotten the future? Everything will go. Everything will disappear. With a roar, with fire. I mean, this is mighty power, isn't it? I mean, it would look like a nuclear attack peels into insignificance when you put this beside it. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. What's he driving at there? We will be completely exposed. All secrets revealed. All of us revealed. Do you know there are only th three things that are eternal? God, his word, people, that's it. Those are the only three things that are eternal. God, his word, and people. How does that alter your perspective? How does that alter your priorities? God, his word, and people. Those are the only three things that will last eternally. 
you think it's worthwhile being involved in ministry? Do you think it's worthwhile investing across the road in the Holy Land? Do you think it's worthwhile investing in other parts of this city? Do you think it's worthwhile investing in Bible study? Do you think it's worthwhile investing in praying for? Do you think it's worthwhile in inviting someone to the life course, even though it might make us really embarrassed to do so? Do you think it's worthwhile? Yes, of course, because those people you invite are eternal. Do you think it's worthwhile speaking up for Jesus? Speaking his words into whatever situation you find yourself? Yes, of course, because that is the only thing that will last. Do you think it's worthwhile? Of course it's worthwhile. Have you forgotten the future? So we've had the past with the scoffers deliberately forget deliberately forget the fulfillment of God's word. We have the future with God's perspective and time being completely different to ours. We can't even understand that concept, can we? We know that everything will be wrapped up on that great day of the Lord and the heavens will disappear. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That's the future. That does make sense, doesn't it, to invest in the things that are eternal. It does make, it's logical. You've got a good return if you invest in them, not in the things that are going to be burnt up. So, past, future, present. Have a look. Verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt into heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. How ought we live? What are we to do on a daily basis? How are we to do it? Well, we're to live holy and godly lives. We're to live in the direction of God, not in the direction of the world. We're to live as if God matters. Holiness, godliness. As we look forward, see that in verse 12? as we look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. He's repeating himself here, of course. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new home and a new earth, a home of righteousness. The new heaven and the new earth. I don't know if any of you are studying theology or have done RE. Here's, here's my summary of all of the Bible. All right? Here's my summary of all of the Bible. Creation. Jesus. New creation. Now that's worth its weight in gold. All right? So you can quote me in your exams. Creation. Everything's made. Jesus. New creation. You want to, you want to, like, I know you want to sell that. I probably should patent it. I don't know. That's just kind of my revision notes for RA. Creation. <laughs> Jesus. 
new creation. Those are the major points of all of history. Where are we? Well, we're in this bit since Jesus before the new creation. We're in this bit. I'm not sure exactly, are we here or are we here or are we here? I'm not sure. I don't know. But God knows exactly where we are. Creation, Jesus, new creation. What are we looking forward to? We're looking forward to the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth, the place where there'll be no sin, no sickness, no sadness, no death, no sorrow, no need for tissues, no funerals. Wow. No bad news. Wow. No place where there's the possibility even of sin because that possibility has been removed. And Peter argues, why not? Why not get ready for that here? Holiness, godliness, living as Jesus would have you live, seeking his kingdom, living righteously, living in a godly way, restraining yourself. What ought we to look like? Well, we ought to look like that. Instead of the false teachers who are blots and blemishes, remember that from chapter two, blots and blemishes? You ought to live spotless lives. Look at verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, at peace with him. Unlike the false teachers, described as blots and blemishes, you are to look like not that. Bear in mind, verse 15, that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain hard things, some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Now, isn't this interesting? This is really early on in the life of the church. And here we have one apostle, the great Peter, who preached in the day of Pentecost doing what? putting Paul's writings, the great apostle, to the Gentiles, the, the former Christian hater and killer. We have his writings placed on what? The same power as the writings of all of the other scripture writers. Peter treats Paul's writings as scripture but notice he says there are some ignorant and unstable people. Now that doesn't mean mentally unstable or emotionally unstable. That means in terms of faith. Unstable as far as Christ is concerned. Being blown about by every wind of doctrine. And he says his letters contain some things that are hard to understand which ignorant and unstable people distort. He used to distort the scriptures, Peter. And Paul publicly confronted him with that. Do you remember that? You read the book of Galatians. There's a, a long and extensive explanation of exactly what was going on. Peter 
held back from eating with those who weren't of the, quote-unquote, the circumcision party. He was a bit scared of the press around him eating with the so-called unclean, with those who weren't circumcised, kind of eating in the way that a Gentile would eat, and he held back. He knew better than that because Christ himself declared all foods clean. He knew he had to go to Cornelius, the Gentile, through that vision and dream that he had, Acts chapter 10. He was distorting the gospel. And perhaps there's some kind of personal testimony here as he speaks of Paul's letters. There are those who are denying the message of Paul, those who are wanting to step away from Paul. But Paul spoke from God. And Peter recognized Paul's words as the words of Christ, as the words of Scripture. We have lots of people today twisting, denying, distorting Paul's words in the world around us, but also in the church. They don't like Paul's words. He's a bit misogynistic. He's a bit homophobic. He's a bit... But those words are the words of Scripture. Those words are the words of Christ. As Paul was carried along, chapter 1, verse 20, as Paul was carried along by the Holy Spirit, he speaks God's words. And so listen to him, Peter says. Listen to him. Treat his words as you do the other scriptures. Don't distort them. Don't deny them. Believe them. Because they are true. It's then verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, remember how I started off? I'm going to write this to you. I'm going to repeat myself again and again and again. Remember that from chapter 1? Remember he said that? I, I don't mind repeating myself because this is for your good. You need never to forget this. And whenever I die, you need never to forget. And here's one way that I'm going to ensure that you remember it. Verse 17, therefore, dear friends, and this is the conclusion to the whole letter. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Don't, don't listen to those false teachers, chapter 2. Don't listen to those who put you under pressure, chapter 1. Don't listen to the scoffers, chapter 3. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to those who distort and destroy the Christian's life. Don't listen to that. Don't fall away from your secure position in trusting and knowing and loving Christ. Don't fall away from that. It's very possible, isn't it? It's very possible for you to be so persuaded by the world for you to be so persuaded by false teachers claiming all sorts of things, for you to be so in love with this world that you forget Christ, that you forget just exactly what has been done for you. You forget, and you start living as if it hasn't been done for you. You start living as if you don't know it. You start living as if, well, look, sure. I mean, the scoffers are right, aren't they? Where is Christ? I haven't seen him. 
regard, Peter says, so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Instead, but, verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. That is what he wants you to do, is grow. Grow in, your, in the grace and in the knowledge of Christ. Grow in your knowledge. Come to know more of Christ. Come to know Christ more. You find out more, not just kind of facts, but you come to know Christ more as you love him, as you grow in him, as you continue to pray, as you can continue to trust, as you see life's circumstances in the face of Christ, as you see the challenges and the sufferings and all that kind of thing, so that you're here for the long haul, the marathon, not the sprint of Christian belief and life. You're growing and growing and growing and growing and growing as you know him more. Do you know, you never stop learning. You never stop learning as a Christian. I've almost reached half a century. I know, I don't look it. I've almost reached half a century. Did you laugh over it? I've almost reached, and there's still stuff that I'm learning all the time about Jesus. Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. A man called John Charles Ryle, who used to serve the church in Liverpool a long time ago, said this, the true scriptural source of consolation in the face of all that troubles us is to keep steadily before our eyes the second coming of Christ. We must grasp and realize the blessed fact that the rightful king of the world is returning soon and he shall have his own again that he shall put down that old usurper, the devil, and take away the curse from off the earth. Let us cultivate the habit of daily looking forward to the resurrection of the dead, the gathering together of the saints, the restitution of all things, the banishment of sorrow and sin, and the reestablishment of a new kingdom of which the rule shall be righteousness. What a great day that will be. So have you forgotten the future? Peter would say, don't. It's our only comfort. It's our only assurance. It's our only guarantee. Christ will return. Are you ready for it? Are you living for it? Are you longing for it? 